Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show, where we interview athletes, coaches, entertainers, artists, musicians, authors, and many more on both our podcast and YouTube channels. We discuss their upbringing, careers, and what they're doing today. We document the past so the future can remember. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share our programs. Got a guest you'd like to hear? Contact us and try and get them on the program. We have over 200 episodes recorded, so please enjoy. Stories can't be remembered unless they are told. Someone asked me one time how I get my guest ideas. It's easy. Those I've had memories of in my lifetime. In a weird sort of way, it brings closure to certain times in my life. A history major at Indiana State University, I feel it's my way of preserving history for future generations to remember. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. Please check out our sponsor, ZoomerSport.com, where they manufacture every product from the same exact materials as your favorite sports balls. Baseball, basketball, football, golf, soccer, softball, tennis, and volleyball. They also do licensed products with additional colleges and universities being added weekly. Want your sports balls products with your company logo? They can also do that. Zoomersport.com, where they manufacture every product from the same exact materials as your favorite sports balls. Welcome to the baseball edition of Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. I am your host, Billy Powell. Um, you can also go ahead and go through the archives at Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word. Keeping the Nostalgia Alive at podbean.com. There's other baseball interviews in there I think you guys will enjoy. Feel free to download and listen to at your convenience. Uh, Today we're going to have a former Major League Baseball player and World Series champion Greg Pryor with us. And uh, he has a book out and it's called The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave. It's a book about his 16-year professional baseball career and is now available. Um, I guess this was a special project. It was a special project for Greg. It took over about five years in the making, and he brings about 27 unique and historical stories to baseball fans worldwide. And uh, Greg lived and breathed these events, spanning his 30 years as an amateur and pro baseball player. Greg, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule, and it sounds like you're in wonderful Las Vegas. You know what they say, whatever happens in Vegas stays in there, but we're going to have a little bit of half hour of of uh, what's going on there. But thank you for your time and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Billy. Uh, thank you for uh, keeping the nostalgia alive with your podcast here because uh, you know, I'm 69 now. And at one point in my life, I never thought I'd get to the big leagues. And now all I do is talk about the past. So <laughs> let's uh, let's have a good time talking. And talking about Las Vegas, I attended the uh, Las Vegas Aviators AAA game uh, Thursday, this past Thursday and uh, Saturday night, and uh, what a great place uh, for a AAA uh, ball club to play. And uh, I wish I was back playing AAA ball baseball again. It's a it's a wonderful place to play ball here in Las Vegas. You know, I do have a love and a passion for the game of baseball. I was telling you previously before we started our interview that uh, my grandfather and I went to about 25, 30 games a year for about a 10 year period at uh, Bush Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. Which at that time, the Indianapolis Indians were the farm club for the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, it's, you know, I've got this, I, I do a, a, a mainly basketball interviews, but I love the game of baseball. I wanted to be a baseball player and just going to those games with my uh, grandfather. I wish I could, uh, I'd do anything right now. He passed a couple years ago, but I'd do anything now to, uh, if he asked me to go to some more games to sit there and, and watch the game, it's fabulous. 
Yeah, I dedicated uh, my book uh, to my dad because, you know, I'm, I was born in Marietta, Ohio, back in 1949. And um, his, my dad's dad, uh, his name was Homer Pryor. And Homer played on a team in Duffy, Ohio, called, uh, they, they had just that Duffy on the front of their jerseys. It was, uh, and I have an 8 by 10 picture of my grandpa uh, standing with his, his other uh, teammates. And that's all that I have of, uh, of, of uh, his memory of baseball. And uh, I had three daughters, and my youngest daughter said, Dad, you should uh, write down some of your stories so that people, and uh, especially your family, can, can understand what you did and uh, hear, uh, re- hear and read about what you did in your career. So basically, that was kind of a, an inspiration for me to put my stories down because I, uh, I, although I didn't have a Hall of Fame career, uh, playing uh, baseball for a living for 16 years uh, certainly gave me a lot of uh, great stories that uh, I'm uh, anxious to share with all the fans listening. And what a great name for your grandfather, uh, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so ironic that his name's Homer. And uh, in my book, I, I talk about uh, very important home runs that were hit in in my career. Uh, and not really by me, because in, in I was in the Pine Tar game in uh, Yankee Stadium. I played in that game when George Brett hit the famous Pine Tar home run. And um, I lockered next to George uh, when we were on the road. And uh, I, I write a whole chapter in my book about the Pine Tower home run, which most people will remember uh, happened because uh, George had a, an, an exorbitant amount of Pine Tower on his bat, and the umpires followed the rule uh, to the T, I guess. And uh, they called George out because um, they were just following what the rule book said. But fortunately, the ruling was overturned, and uh, six weeks later, uh, we had to fly back into New York to finish the game because the American League president, President Lee McPhail, overturned the um, ruling by the umpires to count the home run, which put us ahead. So there was still two outs in the ninth, and uh, when, since George got thrown out of the game, I, I finished the game at third base, so I was uh, uh, in that uh, box score for the Pine Tar game, which I'm very proud of. You know, I still think to this day, after watching it over and over, that uh, if you would have, if he would have been playing football and you would have gave him a football, no matter who would have been in front of him, he would have probably scored a touchdown the way he ran out to that home plate umpire. Yeah, George was a unique character. Uh, it, it was such a thrill to uh, play third base uh, when he didn't play. And I, I, I have to say, uh, I was happy sometimes uh, when he got hurt because that's the only time I got to play, you know. Uh, but uh, it, I was with George for uh, five years, and uh, what a, a great uh, Hall of Fame uh, career he had. And he really set uh, an example for the rest of his teammates on how to play the game. He he never uh, uh, he was always hustling. He was always trying to help the team win, and uh, he was a clutch player. And it was just a thrill to uh, call him a friend and call him a teammate and uh, be a member of the 85 World Series with George Brett. You know, we, we chat about your, your grandfather, Homer, uh, a little bit previously also. And then, of course, your dad played at Wake Forest and then played for the Baltimore Courts, Colts. Was was baseball the first sport that you picked up? No. I, well, it was actually the first sport I played, I guess, uh, on a team. Because I, well, when I was uh, seven or eight years old, I, I, I lived in uh, near Akron, Ohio, uh, a place called Rootstown. And my dad uh, got me uh, my first glove at the Western Auto Store. Remember those stores? <laughs> yes, and, I do. Um, and I uh, I got to play on a uh, team uh, there in Bridgetown. Um, that was my first thing. But my dad was a high school coach. He coached uh, football and basketball. Uh, he was a math teacher. So he, he exposed um, my uh, my other brothers. I had four four brothers. He exposed all of us to all the sports. I love basketball. I love football. I love golf. So it was uh, it was a a, a great um, childhood I had playing all the sports. And the only reason uh, I think I think golf was my probably my favorite sport when I started getting into high school. But uh, unfortunately, um, my dad couldn't afford to buy me golf clubs, and uh, I got a scholarship uh, on a bribe to go to Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida, and ended up. 
again, a little bit better in college and, uh, and then signing with the Senators. But uh, back to your question, um, you know, baseball was never my first love. It was just something that I could do and had fun at, but I never imagined that I'd be a professional player when I was in high school. What team did Greg Pryor listen to on the radio or watch on TV being from Ohio? Was it uh, the Indians or the Reds or was it a, uh, did you have a, a, a different favorite team? Well, my dad, uh, fortunately, took us to Cleveland to that uh, beautiful uh, lakefront stadium, that 80,000-seat stadium when I was in Little League. And he, he would take us up to the uh, Indians and Yankees doubleheaders right, that they used to play back in the old days. And, um, you know, I was up, I, I watched, uh, I got to see two major league games, you know, with Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra, Elston Howard, Mickey Mantle, and all those guys. And I became uh, very uh, close to uh, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Rocky Calavito was my, my hero. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, I listened to uh, Ken Coleman, uh, the announcer for the Indians at the time, uh, call four home runs that Rocky hit one night in uh, Baltimore uh, on a road trip. And um, I, was, uh, I was smitten by the Indians, and uh, they were my favorite team. Uh, Tito Francona, uh, Vic D'Avolio, uh Ray Narleski, uh, Jim Perry, Mudcat Grant, uh, uh, Daddy Lee, uh, was that uh, Leon Wagner, Daddy Wags? Uh, you know, it was just it was just a wonderful place to grow up in Akron, and uh, the Cleveland and the Indians kind of set the spark for my love of baseball back in the old days when I used to go up and watch them and play in the uh, lakefront. Greg, tell us a little bit about your dad and his uh, his athletic career. Well, he he was from West Virginia. Uh, he was a, uh, uh, he played all the sports in high school. He played uh, he played football, and back in his day, uh, they wore leather helmets and no face masks. And he used to drop kick uh, field goals and extra points. Uh, back in the day, people probably forget that uh, that's how they used to score extra points on drop kicks. And um, he was on a basketball team too, and. Uh, he uh, was able to get a scholarship to play uh, college football for uh, P. Head Walker uh, in Old Lake Forest. Uh, well, you know, Wake Forest now is in Winston-Salem, but back in the day, Wake Forest was in the town of Wake Forest. And uh, one of my favorite pictures of my dad is with his foot, with his uh, Wake Forest uh, uniform on with a, that leather helmet and no face mask and um he certainly uh, had the spirit of uh, competition uh, from then because uh, back in those days, he told me that they made him play with broken ribs, whereas today, you know, they, they'd be on a disabled list for six to eight weeks if they had broken ribs. But he told me that one time his coach made him play with uh, with broken ribs. So my dad uh, sure put the uh, inspiration into me to get over pain and uh, and get the job done. Greg, when you started playing high school baseball, did you – you know, a team photo or uh, you got a glance at yourself in the mirror in your baseball uniform. Did you ever think that uh, you'd don a, a World Series championship ring and play professional baseball? No, you know, Billy, I, uh, when I was in high school, I graduated uh, from Orlando Evans and uh, I didn't have a scholarship to college. I wasn't drafted by the pros in 1967 uh, and I was very small. I was very, I was like 155 pounds and five foot six, five, seven when I graduated from high school. And uh, the only way I got to play baseball in college was my dad. Uh, he went to uh, the coach at Florida Southern and uh, he told the coach that uh, he would take my older brother out of Florida Southern if he didn't give me a scholarship because my brother was the best pitcher uh, at that time in the history of Florida Southern College, he, he was 8-0 as a freshman. So so the coach uh, had to give me a scholarship or he would have lost my older brother. So that's the only way I got to college to play. And I, I really didn't know that until after I graduated. My dad and the coach never told me that uh, I got to college on a bribe. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it came to a point where um, I, I, I wanted to get better, Billy. I just, I just had a desire to get better. I had an actor hit the baseball, but, but I was, I wasn't very fast and I, my arm wasn't as strong as it uh, was going to become later. I played second base in college and, um, and then on my uh, junior year and my senior year at Florida Southern, some of the players on the team started saying to me, Hey, Pryor, you're, 
you're looking like you might be a, a pro player. I said, oh, no, get serious. Because uh, back in uh, those days, I went to, uh, a couple, you know, as I said, Florida Southern College in Lakeland, Florida. And that's where the, the old, that's where the Tigers had their spring training. So at night, I would go out during uh, college and watch uh, Al Kaline and Bill Freehan and Jim Northrup and Mickey Lolich and all them guys uh, for the old Tigers back in 67, 60, 68, 69. I'd watch them play. And uh, when I saw Al Kaline throw from right field uh, to home plate and during infield and uh, throw to third base, I was, I was like astounded at how great uh, major league players were. And I never, never, never imagined that I, I would ever get to a point where uh, I would catch every ball ground ground ball hit to me and throw it over to first base in four seconds. It was, it was beyond comprehension that I would be a pro player. And even when I signed a pro, uh, my first pro contract in 71, Billy, uh, I never imagined that I would, uh, I would ever get to the big leagues. And it, it took me a long time. I was, I was a Meyer Nigger for seven years before I got my shot to play in Chicago as a rookie at age 29, but I made uh, the White Sox team there and I ended up playing uh, in 10 major league seasons. And, and it was uh, uh, where you played college baseball. It was division two, right? Yeah. NCAA division two. They, the the good thing about it was, uh, you know, the scouts in baseball, they liked the warm weather. So, uh, and Lakeland was a pretty nice place for scouts to go. And luckily for me, I, I was able to perform well in front of enough scouts. I got drafted in the sixth round uh, in the 71 uh, major league draft. And uh, in fact, I was drafted the same draft as George Brett and Mike Schmidt. You know, George was drafted out of uh, high school in California. And I think Mike Schmidt was drafted out of Michigan state. I'm not sure where Mike Schmidt went, but, uh, we all three were drafted in the 71 the Major League Draft. And, and what was that process like? Was uh, uh, did Were you thinking possibly of other things that you were going to do with your life? And when did you get onto that radar? And what's that process like with scouts and, and, and with that first uh, signing? Well, in the, in the 71, uh, the draft happened in June. And I, I had been invited to play uh, or try out for the uh, Pan American team uh, down in Miami, Florida. Uh, Bobby Winkles, uh, you know, well-known uh, college coach at Arizona State and a major league manager. He was the coach of the Pan American team. And uh, I went down, I got invited to go try out for the team. And I was all excited about making the Pan American team. You know, we were going to go and play, uh, you know, other teams around the world. And uh, Fred Lynn was in that camp down there and Alan Bannister. So I was around a lot of really great college players uh, when I got drafted in 71. And um, somebody called me, I don't know, they said, Prior, you got drafted in the sixth round by the Washington Senators. And I was like, I was, you know, I guess I was excited. And man, because, you know, you never know if you're going to get drafted or not, even though I was a decent college player. And then uh, the, the uh, Senators called me up and they offered me 10 grand. And uh, so I go to uh, Winkles, Coach Winkles, and I said, hey, look, I've got a chance to go play professional baseball. They're giving me $10,000 to play. And he looked at me and he said, son, if you have a chance to go play pro ball, he says, you need to get out of here and go go start playing. So I left that Pan American team in Miami and I flew to uh, Albany, New York. Uh, and uh, and I, we, I, I started my uh, rookie uh, season playing in the New York Penn League in Judea, New York, uh, with, the, with the Washington Senators. You know, a lot, you know, you watch Bull Durham and, you know, I've been to minor, I've been to several minor league baseball t- uh, games. Uh, what's, what, uh, were you nervous? Were you scared? Did you think you made the right choice? Well, obviously being broke uh, out of college, it was nice to have that, uh, that, that $10,000. <laughs> I, I was able to buy my first car. I was able to afford some clothes, you know. <clears throat> but when I got up to uh, Geneva, uh, the, the conditions uh, in the minor leagues was so much lower than what I had in college. It was a big, uh, it was a big uh, disappointment uh, because the the lighting was bad, the batter's boxes were bad, the infield dirt was bad. Because when I played in college uh, in Lakeland, we, I played on Henley Field, and Henley Field was uh, manicured. It was it was beautiful. And I didn't know 
that the minor league fields were so bad. So I got up there to Geneva. And I remember one game I played and uh, I made a, a mistake and uh, the manager uh, in front of the whole team uh, told me that he says, you prior, you can take your uniform off and I'm, I don't care what you do. My, my first professional manager told me uh, I wasn't good enough to even wear a uniform, which hurt my feelings, but uh, I got over that, you know, and uh, it, it just, uh, it was a disappointing time in, in my life because a lot of times in professional baseball, nobody's sitting around telling you you're getting better. Uh, in fact, most of the time they, uh, they're negative about you because they just don't think you're going to make it. But, you know, you, you, that's what makes guys get to the big leagues is that they overcome objections. They overcome uh, things that they can't do and they get better at it. And uh, Billy, I just started working to getting better, trying to be better infielder and, it took me a while to, to get to the point where I was worthy of playing in the big leagues, but it certainly uh, was a, a nice, uh, it, in fact, if it hadn't happened, Billy, I probably wouldn't have been able to write the book, you know? Right. And, and tell us about that escalation to, you know, uh, you, you end up, your your first Major League Baseball game is with the Texas Rangers, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, in two Major League spring trainings with Billy Martin in 1974 uh, and 1975. I was in a major league camp down at Pompano Beach, and I was excited to be around uh, major leaguers. And then in 76, uh, the Rangers did not invite me to major league camp. I I was extremely upset. I was uh, uh, 27 years old at the time, and I I knew that if I didn't get to a major league camp, there's no way I was going to make the team. So I I called the farm director when I wasn't invited, uh, his name was Hal Keller. I said, Mr. Keller, I said, I, I, how come I'm not invited to Major League Camp? And he goes, Prior, he says, uh, all our scouts say that you don't have the ability to play in the Major Leagues. And he says, in fact, I'm going to send you your, your scouting reports from all the scouts that we have that looked at you last season uh, in 75 when you played in uh, Spokane and AAA. And he says, you'll see what they think of you. So he mailed me my scattering reports, Billy, and and uh, one of them, the, the worst one, said, uh, all tools are short, um, can't play in the big leagues, AAA at best, will be 27 years old, you can release him as far as I'm concerned. So they sent me that in uh, February of 76, right before, uh, you know, the camp. So I was very, very, very disappointed, yeah, but uh, the, I was really working hard to get ready for the 76 season. So I go to AAA. Uh, with the Rangers, I reported to camp, uh, not Major League camp, but the minor league camp, and uh, and I go to I go to uh, Sacramento in the Coast League, and uh, in June of '76, uh, we were on a trip to uh, play uh, Phoenix and Tucson and Albuquerque, and then uh, after a game in Tucson, Rich Donnelly, uh, he's also from Ohio, uh, he was my manager, and um, he called me into his office. And he, he goes, prior, I got good news or bad news? He said, the good news is you're going to the big leagues. And the bad news is uh, you're going to come back here in about two weeks. They just need you for two weeks. And I was so excited, Billy, because, you know, I, it was a shock that I was going to get called up because just four months previous to that, uh, they sent me my reports that said that I had no chance. So uh, here I was now going to the big leagues and, you know, I was going to go play and sit on the same bench as Gaylord Perry and uh, Jeff Burroughs and Jim Sundberg and, and, you know, great, great uh, major league players. And I got to see, uh, you know, uh, my, my, in fact, my first start in the big leagues uh, was against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Mark DeBert Fidrich was pitching for the Tigers then in 76. And my first big league start, uh, I had to face uh, Mark DeBert Fidrich, which was uh, one of my biggest thrills in my career. I, I didn't get any hits, but, but it was certainly a thrill to uh, overcome the objection that I had uh, right before spring training in 76 and then uh, get to the big leagues and, uh, and play uh, 19 days. I was up in the big leagues and then uh, the Rangers sent me back to AAA. Now, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Billy Martin. What I mean, he not let you go, or he actually fired you not once, but twice, but three times, right? <laughs> well, Billy, Billy was one of my favorite baseball people. He, you know, a lot of people have uh, w- weird opinions about Billy Martin, but you know, every team he ever went to, he the, the, the team improved. The team improved when he went to Detroit. 
uh, the team went approved when he went to Texas and everybody knows uh, what he did in uh, 77 with the Yankees when they won the world series. But, um, I was with Billy, uh, in uh, spring training of 75 in, uh, with the Rangers. And uh, he, um, came up to me at the end of spring training and he goes prior, he goes, he goes, I'm, we're, we're sending you to the Byron Lake camp, but he's, I just want you to keep working because he said, if I need an infielder, I'm calling, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking him to send you uh, up here. So Billy Martin really encouraged me. Uh, and he, just that one thing that he told me really got me excited that I was close to playing in the big leagues. But unfortunately, uh, that was the second time he sent me to the minor leagues. And the third time was when I was with the Yankees in 77. And, you know, I got traded to the Yankees in February of 77 from the Rangers. And I went down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, and I was able to go to through spring training with Thurman Munson and Catfish Hunter and Reggie Jackson. And uh, Billy Martin uh, sent me out of that camp for the third time. And I went to play a uh, AAA in Syracuse. So, but I, but I was able to play against Billy when I got with the White Sox and I got with the Royals. I was able to play against Billy, uh, when he managed other teams and I held my own. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I would just wish I could have played for him, but he was such a fiery manager, but, but, uh, he had, you know, I, I think the people that really don't like him, uh, have probably have never met him because Billy Martin, uh, was really uh, a uh, end of the end of the game of baseball. He was really uh, he really wanted to win, and he did everything he could to get players to play better. Um, let's go back to that first at bat. What what do you recall? It was it such a whirlwind? Was it? Uh, uh, could can you tell us your thought process when you went up to bat? I mean, like man, I can't believe I am getting ready to be uh, to go at bat yeah. in a major league baseball game. Yeah, you talk about my first big league at bat. That was, you know, the the first day I got to uh, Texas in '76 when they called me up. Uh, well, as I said, we were playing the Tigers, and and the game that I got in uh, was because we were beating them so bad. I think we were up by like ten runs, and uh, Danny Thompson uh, had just gotten four hits in the game, and uh, Frank Lucchese was the manager of the Rangers at the time. And he uh, put me in, uh, he said, prior, go in for Thompson at second base. So I, I get into my first big league game the day I got to the uh, major leagues and I was extremely nervous, but the, but the thing that really, uh, was easier for me was when I got to the batter's box, it was flat. And most of the, most of the batter's boxes in the minor leagues are not flat. This one was flat and, and the lighting was really good. You could see the ball. So even though I was nervous as heck, uh, I got up there and, and my first uh, at bat in the big leagues, I, I was swinging at anything that I could reach. I promise you, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you, you want to get a good pitch to hit, but uh, I was up there eager to swing at anything close. And uh, as a left-handed pitcher for the Tigers, uh, his name was Crawford. He threw me a real low curveball, and uh, it was a ball, but uh, I swung at it because I was so eager. And I blooped it in the left center for a base hit, my first major league at bat. So not only was it exciting to be in the big leagues, but to get a hit on my first big, big league at bat, it meant that I was going to be in the record books, um, you know, in a good way. Did you get to keep, did you ask for the ball? No, I never got the ball. I don't yeah. think. I don't have it. I got my first two major league home runs back. I hit those uh, in Chicago back-to-back, my first two big league homers. I I got those balls, but uh, I never did get that first big league hit ball back. I don't know where it went. What What was it like being a base, uh, baseball player in the major leagues? And, you know, you were just chatting about Thurman Munson and, and you know, all these great baseball players. And I know my, I'll tell my wife occasionally that I'll get nervous before I do an interview. And she says, everybody puts their pants on the same way, left leg, right leg, or however they do. They put their pants on the same way. What was it kind of like? Did, and did you just keep all this in your mind, all, all, all of your baseball experiences? Did you jot them down? Or is this something that you had so much of a passion for the game that you, you just remember them in detail? You know, one thing about uh, the reason why I think I was able to succeed in the big leagues is because um, I started learning about how to play the game by watching and listening and uh and, and picking up other guys' gloves that had been in the big leagues. Because when I got to New York, you know, I was around the Greg Nettles and Willie Randolph and 
the guys that are really, really good major league infielders. And, and I, I would pick their glove up and look at their glove because uh, I wanted to find out anything I could that would give me a, uh, an edge so that I could be a, a better infielder. And um, by, by looking at Greg Nettles' glove and asking him about how he breaks it in, uh, it helped me uh, to fix my glove the way that, it, as, it, as it turns out, some of the tips I got from looking at his glove and, and watching him feel uh, helped me become a, a major league infielder because uh, back in 73 when I was in the A-ball, I made 50, uh, 50 errors at shortstop. And uh, the farm director said, uh, "Greg, you'll never be a you'll never be an infielder because you're 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 really a bad fielder." So I had to overcome uh, that uh, pain of making all those errors, and 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 I overcame it by, as I said, uh, hanging around the guys that uh, were better than me, uh, respecting them because they had been there. Because when you get on the field, the ball doesn't care whether you're uh, a veteran or a rookie; it's it's coming the same way. And, uh, you know, like your wife says, yes, you, you, you put on your pants the same way, but the baseball doesn't have any respect for, for you when it's coming at you. You know, it, it, you're either going to catch it uh, or you're going to miss it. And uh, and when you miss uh, as many as I had in my life, uh, and then you learn how to catch them all. Uh, it, just, it just shows you that you put in enough time and effort and you learn from these guys before you. That's what got me to be a really good major league infielder. Did you love to put on those Chicago White Sox uniforms? I got to throw a little humor in there. Well, you know, that old White Sox uniform, uh, people might, uh, that, that are listening to this might not remember, but we had real big lapels, and uh, we wore our shirts outside our pants, and the pants uh, uh, hit right below the knee. The, 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 uh, so we, and we, we had no stirrups. We just had socks. It was an old-time uniform, and um, at, at first, uh, obviously, uh, we thought it looked funny, uh, you know. We, we, but when you put the uniform on, uh, it it really doesn't matter whether you're playing in a in your birthday suit or whatever the uniform is. Uh, to play in the big leagues, you can't worry about what your uniform looks like. I got to a point where I, I love that uniform. In fact, um, one of my uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a dust jacket for my book right now with my old uh, White Sox uh, uniform on the front of the dust jacket. I'm going to be uh, doing some book signings up in Chicago. And I'm so proud to uh, to uh, put that uniform on because, uh, you know, your show's about nostalgia. And, and I don't, uh, you know, here, here's, here, here's the bottom line. Today in the big leagues, they make these guys wear these old-time uniforms, right? So the old-time uniforms are never going, going out of style. They, I mean, I know that they have modern uniforms, but, Back when I played, when I put on that old-time uh, White Sox uniform uh, uh, with the, the the fancy lettering, I, I I I was in the big leagues, Billy, and it didn't matter to me what I was putting on. Uh, did you ha- create a fondness for Tony Larusa? Was he your skipper in uh, Chicago? Yeah, Tony uh, broke in as a manager there at the end of the '79 uh, season, and um, he was um, only 36, 37 at the time, and I had never heard of him. You know, I, I had I had played for Bob Lemon in Chicago. He was my first manager there, the uh, the former uh, Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, I also played for Larry Doby uh, in Chicago, and also uh, Don Kessinger, the famous uh, Chicago Cubs shortstop. And then uh, Larissa took over for Kessinger. And um, Tony was uh, really green. I mean, uh, he he was. Uh, I got you, and he would probably say this. He he wasn't ready at that time to be a major league manager. But it's just like some players aren't ready to play in the big leagues uh, when they get called up. Tony Larusa became uh, a, um, a Hall of Fame manager. He's he won over his career won the third most games of any. Uh, manager in the history of baseball behind uh, John McGraw and, and Connie Mack, uh, Tony LaBruce's third. And I, I'm happy to say that I was with him uh, uh, as a manager on his first major league uh, game. But some of the funny things that he did, you know, in, when he would want to go argue uh, to run out of the dugout, he would turn around to us on the bench and ask us whether the guy was out or safe before he was running out to argue. He, he really didn't know which way he was going to argue. He, so, it, was, it was so funny, but uh, 
uh, I write about him in my book. Uh, and uh, he, I called him up and um, I said, Tony, would you write the forward to my book? And, and he wrote uh, four to five pages in my book or a forward by Tony DeRusa. And um, I'm more proud of uh, that forward by him than I am my stories because, you know, it, 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 it came full circle. You know, I had managers tell me I couldn't play. And now I have uh, Tony LaRusso, a Hall of Fame manager, writing the forward to my book. It's just been a big thrill, and I'm so glad that Tony decided to write my forward. What's it like in baseball, you know, knowing you're with one team one year, uh, going to another team the next year? And, of course, I'm assuming your favorite spot was Kansas City. Well, you know, I, uh, basically, it, my favorite spot was wherever I had a job, Billy. But <laughs> I, I had a great, I, I had a great time in Chicago playing for Bill Beck, uh, playing in Comiskey Park. Uh, you know, Comiskey Park uh, at the time when it was built, it was called the Baseball Palace of the World. Uh, the first All Star Game in the American League uh, was played in uh, Comiskey Park in 1933. Uh, Babe Ruth and uh, Louis Gehrig, Luke Gary played in that first All Star Game. So when I got that home plate in Old Comiskey Park, uh, it was it was a, a thrill beyond belief that I'd I'd be standing at the home uh, same home plate uh, that Babe Ruth stood at back in 1933, uh, you know, forty some years before that. So uh, it was a, a fantastic time to play in Chicago. But uh, when I got traded to Kansas City in 1982, uh, I was traded to a team that had uh, six guys on the American League All Star team. You know, Hal McRae, Frank White, Willie Wilson, George Brett, um, and um, uh, Amos Otis. There was six of them that played on that All-Star game in 82. And uh, it was a big uh, thrill to finally get to play with a bunch of guys that had been in playoff baseball that knew how to play the game. And uh, it helped me to become a, a better player because I wanted to be part of their winning heritage they had in Kansas City. And you know, uh, they had won divisions uh, before I got there. And then uh, we won the American Lake West in 1984. And then in 85, uh, we beat the uh, Toronto Blue Jays in the American Lake Championship Series, uh, three game, four games to three. And then uh, we beat the Cardinals in 85, uh, four games to three. And, and I'm so proud to be able to show my World Series ring on the people whenever I see them. And what was was that a whirlwind? Also, I mean, with, uh, what uh, what was your what what were you thinking, or what were you were going through in life when you you, you all of a sudden you're, you're like, you know what? Uh, we just won the World Series, and you know, it's like being <laughs> it's like being an Emmy Award winner or an Oscar winner or a Grammy winner. I'm a, I'm a world champion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. Uh, it takes a lot of confidence. Uh, in your own ability and also your teammates' ability uh, to to uh, win, uh, be on a winning team because you, it's a team effort. Uh, you have to have uh, twenty some guys that really uh, pull together and root for each other and and come through in the clutch. And uh, we had so many clutch uh, players on that team, and um, they, they uh, as I said, it helped me become a better player. I mean, I played one hundred and twenty some games in eighty four. Uh, when we won the division, but we we lost to the Tigers uh, in the uh, American League Championship Series. Uh, they swept us three games to none. And in 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 our clubhouse, after we lost to the Tigers at the playoffs in '84, uh, you know, it was my first time ever playing in postseason. And um, the, the other guys in there, uh, you know, George and Frank and Dan Quisenberry and Willie Wilson. The, the, those guys had suffered some some sort of tremendous losses to the Yankees in the playoffs in the late seventies, and the the pain and suffering that those guys were going through was a lot more than mine because I was just happy to to be in the postseason. So it kind of carried over into the '85 season, and uh, we, it, we didn't really clinch uh, our um, our division in '85 until the last week. In fact, uh, it was, we were tied with the Angels with less than a week to go, and um, we we finally, uh, you know, uh, won the division. And then uh, back in the day, uh, it was just there was no wild cards back then, so we we got down two ga- two games to nothing to Toronto, and then ended up beating them four games to three. So uh, we had a, a tenacity about our team in '85 that uh, only the guys in the clubhouse could understand because. You know, you you uh, you win as a team, and, and uh, sometimes in the clubhouse, the camaraderie helps helps you play perform better on the field. And that '85 team 
And not only did we have a good camaraderie in the clubhouse, but we, we carried that on the field. What pitcher did you like uh, aspire? Like what pitcher did you have so much fun batting against or what pitcher did you have? You know, I want him to pitch to me just because of, of, of his legendary status. Well, you know, it wasn't like one person uh, that I liked facing. Uh, if he threw left-handed, I would like him, you know, because <laughs> I, I hit right-handed. And, and my career average is a lot higher against left-handed pitching. So I, I liked any left-hander that ever threw the ball left-handed. I mean, I knew, I knew my chances were going to be a lot better. But, but the right-handers that I faced, that I, I'm, uh, I, I, don't, uh, I didn't really want to face them. Uh, you know, you're talking Nolan Ryan. You're talking Roger Clemens. Um, in fact, uh, somebody, uh, this guy named Dave Steed, a pitch for the, uh, Toronto, he, he had a real quick arm, and I uh, seemed like I, I could not pick up the ball out of his hand. And every time I faced him, I knew I had no chance hardly. So, But as I said, you, you, you have to get past uh, who's pitching because if you don't, you're not going to keep your job. So, you know, even though I didn't hit as well against right-handed pitching, you know, I, I played well enough to, to get a paycheck for 10 years. What, you know, I ask everybody that I interview, I ask this question, and what what goes through the mind of an athlete, especially you in professional baseball, when you're like, you know what, you know, I've had, you know, I've made the major leagues, I, I've played so long in the major leagues, I've won a World Series ring, I, I, but I know it's getting to the end of my career. Is that kind of, is it depressing? Is it a downer? Do you start thinking about other things that you're going to do in life? What, what's that like when you have to hang up the cleats? Well, they, they told me uh, that they didn't want me back for the 87 season. I got released in the uh, in, uh, 87, 86 season. And I was, uh, I was 37. And, um, you know, even though I, I wanted to play longer, um, I didn't get a chance to make that 87 team, but the, the Royals had already made their minds up about the Greenfield. And then, uh, and I had just had our uh, third daughter, my wife and I, uh, our, our third daughter was born right before spring training of 87. So, you know, I had a family and then, uh, I, so when I got released, it was certainly uh, painful, uh, you know, to, to, to be told you can't play baseball after playing it for 30 some years, uh, counting my amateur uh, years I played. Um, I go to uh, Sarasota where I was living, and uh, LaRusa called me. Uh, he was managing Oakland at the time. And uh, he said, uh, prior, he goes, he said, I'd like to uh, have you join our club, but he says, I can't get you on the big league team right now. I want you to go to Tacoma, and I want you to uh, work out in our tri- with our AAA team in Tacoma, Washington, in the Pacific Coast League. Uh, and I'll get you in the big leagues as soon as I can. So I was going to get paid for the 87 season, and I had, uh, you know, just had my, my uh, third daughter. So I had to make a choice. Uh, go back to AAA, uh, leave my family, go up to the northwest part of the country where it's cold and rainy uh, the whole month of April and face uh, young pitchers throwing 98 at my head maybe. So I decided to go ahead and quit, even though I still uh, had a job offer. I decided to go ahead and quit, and uh, uh, I kind of didn't look back. I, if I have one thing that I look back on, Billy, I wish I could have done. I, I think I would have stayed in baseball uh, to become a coach or a manager because uh, I missed the game. Uh, I missed the camaraderie, and um, a lot of my former teammates became major league managers. Uh, in fact, one of my former teammates is, is managing the Colorado Rockies now, Buddy Black. He's the manager there. He and I were really good friends when I played for the Royals. And, you know, uh, Hal McRae, uh, he managed in the big leagues. John Watson managed in the big leagues, my ex-teammates. So I'm not saying I could have been a major league manager, but I think I would have stayed in the game if I do it over again. When did the light bulb go on over your head and you're like, you know what, I'm going to write a book? Uh, it was kind of like a not one day. My daughter... My youngest daughter, she goes, Dad, she says, you have all these stories. Why don't you, why don't you start dictating these stories into your phone, and then uh, we'll type them out and see how many stories we can come up with. So I started uh, dictating stories into my phone, and when I got to 100 stories, uh, she said, Dad, we're not going to put 100 stories in the book. Let's, let's make 27. So I started writing these stories out, 
And um, I, I stopped at 27, you know, because there's 27 outs in a, in, in a, in a baseball game. And uh, I, 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 uh, the, the stories that I have, uh, they all start with the day that. And, uh, you know, I, I titled the book uh, The Day That the Yankees Made Me Shave because um, it was one of my funniest stories that, uh, that happened to me in my career. And I, I, I just chose that as the title of, of the book. And it's got my Yankee picture on the front of a, a book. Uh, and it, it has something to do with, um, you know, when, when, when I went to AAA with the Yankees in 77, they made me shave. And I, I, I organized a mustache revolt, uh, and it got the rule changed, uh, very simply, but I read, I read all about it in the book. So it was, uh, it was, um, um, a way in which that I thought that, um, if, if guys, um, don't write these stories out, uh, their families won't know what happened. Um, so I'm really excited now that I got 27 of my best stories in my first book. It's selling really well. It's available on Amazon. Or they can go to uh, the day the Yankees made me shave dot com and they can buy an autographed hard copy there if they want. But uh, it it it's got to a point, Billy, where I'm thinking about doing a second book uh, because the fans really liked my first book. And with uh, you also, what do you do? Is it lifepriority.com? dot com? Yeah, I'm, my wife and I own a health and nutrition company. Uh, we've been in the business since '95. Uh, it's called Life Priority, P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y, LifePriority.com. And I uh, didn't really know what I was going to do outside of baseball. And then I was introduced to the world of uh, health and nutrition uh, back in 91. And um, and I've been, uh, Life Priority has been in existence uh, since 1994. So we're, uh, we're an experienced company. And if anybody there uh, listening uh, cares about uh, learning more about health and nutrition, uh, they can visit my website at lifepriority.com, and I'll be glad to uh, interact with them and help them understand how they can live a um, healthier life by using the right supplements. Because it's uh, if you're not healthy, uh, you're uh, you're in bad shape. And I'm just trying to help us stay healthy as long as I can. And I've learned how to do it by being in the business. Uh, Greg, what? How? How hard was it? to put a book together or to write a book. I mean, you're, you're going to do it again. It sounds like you want to do another one. So that means the process was a fun one. Was it like, there's no way in hell I'm going to finish the book. I, I don't want to do another book. I don't want to do this at all. I mean, tell us a little bit about the process of writing one and putting it together. Well, well it was one of the more painful things I've ever had to do because <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's kind of like owning a team and being a player. Uh, you have to do everything. You have to pick the stories you have to write about. Now I had a lot of help, but uh, the bottom line was I, I, you know, I wanted to tell the truth. I wanted to make sure that uh, all the stories and all the facts in the stories were true. And I had to have fact checking. I had to have proofreading. I had to have editing. And then, and then you had to put out the money uh, to, to go to the printer. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it's just uh it was kind of like making the big leagues, Billy. It, it took me uh, seven minor league seasons to become a major league player. And in this book, it took uh, a long career of playing ball to even have the stories, number one. And number two is taking the stories and, and putting them in a, a framework and uh, an order that the fans would like to enjoy so that when they read it, uh, they, they write me back and they say prior. He says, you made me feel like I was right there with you in that game. When is your next book coming out? I can't wait. Let me know. You know, you've succeeded at doing it. But as I said, it, it wasn't like I was trying to be a famous uh, writer like uh, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe or anything like that. <laughs> I, it was just uh, my desire to share uh, really uh, what I think are really awesome stories that uh, are, are, are uh, my stories about interacting with Hall of Fame players and Hall of Fame managers and experiences that baseball fans like to read. And, 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 and I think that's what makes baseball one of the, the greatest sport in the world is because of all the stories that uh, people like to hear about what happened on a certain day. And it's just, um, I can't say that I like some of the changes in modern day baseball now, but my story is about the old days when you could slide into second base and spike the guy and that was accepted as common. Uh, you could slide in the home and hit the catcher, and that was accepted as common. So it's uh, 
it's a way in which I can bring the nostalgia of uh, baseball in the 70s and the 80s back to the fans so that they can understand how the game is, was a lot different back then than it is now. And I think I did it in my first book. Uh, the book is out. The book is published. The book is called The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave. What What is... What what is like doing a publicity tour? Do you still sign books? Do you love interacting with the fans? Do they get a kick out of that also? Tell us a little bit about. Is there any upcoming signings coming up? Yeah, I'm going to be in Chicago um, you know, later in uh, July. Uh, they, they they have a White Sox history night um, on the July 27th in uh, Chicago, and I'll be up there with my book. But uh, most of the t- most of my signings right now are in the Kansas City area, but if anybody uh, listening to this uh, wants to uh, get in touch with me uh, about a book signing, I mean, I would come to Indianapolis. I got so many uh, Cincinnati Red stories. I, you know, I played with Al McRae. Uh, he he was uh, played in Indianapolis. So I, I can, uh, you know, baseball fans are all the same nationwide. They might have different teams that they like, but they're all the same nationwide. So I'm uh, I'm interested in doing book signings uh, in uh I really enjoy the fans uh, because, uh, like you, like you know, Billy, uh, you know your show's about nostalgia, and that's why I wrote the book to to tell people about things that happened in the past. And when I get in front of them, uh, I start telling them about stories in my second book, probably more than the first book, because I, I need to get after my second book now because the first book's done. In fact, uh, you know, we're going to a second print here pretty soon on my second on my first book. So I'm anxious to get the second book done. So when I go out and talk to people, I start sharing stories about my second book. And Greg, tell everybody once again where they can uh, get a copy. And then you said they can get an autographed copy also, right? Yeah, yeah. They can go to Amazon. They can download it. Uh, I think it's uh, under $10. Uh, if they want to go to Amazon, they just put you in uh, the day the Yankees made me shave. And then uh, if they want an autographed hard copy, uh, they need to go to the website, the day the Yankees made me shave.com. And uh, they just go ahead and follow the instructions. And I only have uh, like 40 um, hardbacks uh, uh, left. And when I'm, when I'm done with those, uh, my first limited edition book uh, will be done. So I won't be signing uh, the first edition after I sell my next 40. So if anybody listening uh, wants a hard copy, go to the day the Yankees may be shaped.com and I'll be glad to send them the book and autograph it personally to them. The title of the book is The Day the Yankees Made Me Shave, and it's a book about the 16-year professional baseball career of Greg Pryor. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for spending your time with us. We, we went a little bit long, but I think everybody will appreciate this, and uh, uh, thank you so much. Okay, Billy, thank you, and thank you all uh, fans out there for uh, making the, the, the game so great, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again uh, someday, Billy. Thanks.